Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. This is from Mark 5:21 to 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat on the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather getting worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body, and she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what, what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's home, house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We are looking at uh, just the Gospels in moments in the Gospels, uh, to just see Jesus. I wrote you um, in an email Friday morning, that some of you may have read, that Peter makes a comment in one of his letters. He says, look, I, I, I was at, at this amazing experience where I was on a mountain with Jesus, and I saw like the Holy Spirit come down like a dove, and I heard God's voice, and, and then I saw Jesus, I don't, we don't even know what this really means, change from one degree of glory to another. Like he, it was all of God's glory manifested like physically in a moment. Now, if any of us were, were there, 
we sort of look at Peter and say, well, I would absolutely trust if I, if I saw that. But he actually goes on to say, and you know what? You have something more sure, more fully confirmed than if you were there, and that's the Bible. And what he means is that right now, you, you can see Jesus. You can see this man in a way that's even more vivid and more clear and more beautiful than if you had even been there yourself. Charles Spurgeon once said, he said, the faith is the eye of the soul. It is the act of looking unto Jesus. In the act by which we are saved, we just look to him and we are renewed and saved from the very ends of the earth. We look to him and find life. So here's what I want you to do with me. Just, just look at this man. And look at three things. Look, how, look at how he will frustrate you. But secondly, no, it's because he's going to teach you something. And thirdly, but you can trust him. So here's the three things this morning. One, Jesus will frustrate you. Two, it's because he wants to teach you something. But three, you, but you can trust him. Okay, one, Jesus will frustrate you. So here's the situation if you weren't able to sort of follow along with that story. Jesus has been teaching. Uh, he gets out of the boat and is immediately greeted by this very important man, Jairus, whose daughter is dying and says, hey, it's, it's desperate. Please hurry, run. And so he's on his way there and finds a woman who uh, has been struggling with something for 12 years. So you have one situation that's very acute, very pressing, very right now. And this other woman that's struggling with something, having a hard time, but it's been going on for a dozen years. Now, anybody who's you know, medically attentive at all would go, Here, hey, this one belongs in the ER, that one can go to a clinic next week. And Jesus almost commits malpractice here. I mean, he just goes and deals with this woman who, if he delayed it a day, a week, whatever, no big deal, for the sake of a girl who's dying, and everybody is frustrated with the immediate decision of Jesus. And what you see right away is that in this crowd, Jesus has frustrated everybody by his decision and his timing and his agenda. And what you have to learn right away is that Jesus' agenda and his timing in life will almost never be yours. He will delay you. He will frustrate you. He will not bring things into your life when you swear this is what you need in your life. He will not show up in the way that you need him to show up. He will never almost always work on your timetable. And you will almost want an apology from him. Now, before we get into that, like one personal comment. One of the ways that we really struggle with this is actually not, um, it has more to do with our expectations than our needs. Let me explain. Um, I've gotten to the point where I, I just don't mind long commutes in Los Angeles. I, I'm just used to it. That's life. You drive 50 minutes, you drive an hour to go do something, to meet with somebody. It's part of part of what we do.
But what I cannot stand is when I put it in my phone and it says it's going to take me 57 minutes to get there. And then in the midst of my commute, all of a sudden it says like, oh, something's come up, delayed 10 more minutes. And that's when I just lose my mind. It's like, you told me it was only going to take me 57 minutes. <laughs> and now I'm like getting these texts of shame and embarrassment. I'm sorry, I'm like going to be 10, 15 minutes late. And I'm just like really struggling with this whole thing. And I'm blaming the whole thing on these like app designers about how they should have anticipated. Because if you just told me on the front end that it was going to take an hour and eight minutes, like I can live with that. What I can't live with is the constant delaying. And, and what, it, what it is, is my initial expectation of what you said in the ETA at the beginning has driven my entire need for this. And so much of the way that we want God to work in our life works on a religious paradigm where we think, God, I have put in my time, I have put in my faith, I have put in my prayers, I have put in these things, and you are not showing up and acting the way that I need you to act. And it has so much to do with our expectations and putting in the language of our needs. And Jesus so often is lovingly delaying you. And, and you, you have to know this because if you don't, um, you can be really tempted to blame it either on your lack of faithfulness or his goodness. Like, every time Jesus delays us, it's never because of your faithfulness. It's never, it's never him punishing you. Because God of the Bible always works on a paradigm of grace. Look at this situation. You have a very prominent, wealthy, religious man and a, a social outcast woman. Now, in that society, which one would have been given the prominence? Which one would have been given the seat at the table? Which one would have been valued? It's always the religious prominent male. And what Jesus does is he reverses it. He says, I'm going to give the priority to this social outcast because he's a God of grace who never, ever comes into your situations because you're worthy of it, because you've earned it, and he never, he never um, removes himself or shows up in a way that you don't want him to because you haven't been that. There is no condition, there is no way that you're living your life that ever presses God to work in a particular way. You have to know that when he delays you, it's not because of something you're doing, it's something that he is doing. But it also protects you from thinking that when he doesn't show up the way that I want him to, it's a lack of his goodness. Look, this story ought to help you do this. You have got to stop interpreting God's goodness in your life in light of your circumstances. Way too many Christians are, are emotionally volatile people because we're just tea leaf reading our circumstances. You look at these things in and around your life and you measure them with God's goodness. And the problem is our emotions are so fleeting and so untrustworthy. They're like feathers in the wind. And what you've got to do is, is you've got to interpret God's goodness like there is a rock boulder in your soul. 
And it's not built on how you feel and how things are going. It's built on his promises. And if you, if you don't do that, then delays in your life will always, always make you question God's goodness. Martin Luther King's grandmother used to say to him all the time, the Lord never shows up when you want, but he always shows up on his own time. Look, you, you will never be able to believe that and apply that if you don't know that Jesus will lovingly delay you. And it's not to punish you. It's not to be vindictive. It's because he loves you. Look, both Jesus loves this woman in this story, and he loves this family so well. But no one understood that in the immediate moment. Jesus will lovingly delay you. But secondly, it's so he can teach you something. Look, Jesus always wants to teach you something in the midst of his timing. And, and almost always in the beginning, what he, what he wants to draw out of us is that he's going to ask way more of us than we're willing to give. If you look at this woman, the, the bleeding woman, in verse 27 28, here's what happens. She has this problem in her life. And she believes, if I just get, if I just, if I get near this man... I can be healed. And, and she's probably afraid to go up and ask him. She probably doesn't even think she's worthy enough to be in his presence or to bother him. So she just thinks, I, if, I just, if I just sneak up behind him and touch his robe, then I'll be healed. And what she does is something that we almost always do with Jesus and even other people. It's that, what, what's the bare minimum that I have to do to get what I need in life. And she just, she, she's like, I don't want to bother him. I don't want to get in his way. I don't want to distract him. I don't want to get in the way of, of what he's doing and these other people want. And so she just touches his robe. And Jesus, he could have looked at her and, and you know, because the text says he felt, he felt it and it was basically like, hey, who touched me? But he could, he could have looked back and winked and been like, I got you. I know. But he doesn't do that. He calls her out. He makes her identify herself. He makes her almost like the stop and have everybody in the crowd pause and turn and look at this woman. Now, why is this a big deal? Because this woman was a socially ostracized person who had been exiled from the community of faith, had been exiled socially. She was, because of her, her bleeding, she was not allowed to be in the temple. She was not allowed to hear anything, any good news. And what Jesus does when he says, you go into peace, your faith has healed you. The language is, actually in the Greek, go into peace. And peace, you know, in that context, it's, it's not like, you know, um, like peace, like you get a massage. The background is the word shalom, which means to be restored in all part of life, to be restored in your relationship with God and with human beings. And what Jesus is doing is he's making this woman deal with her social ostracization. See, underneath her bleeding was a deeper bleeding. 
that she had been not just uh, um, hurting physically, but she'd been hurting emotionally and spiritually in, in loneliness. And instead of her just touching Jesus and getting that physical ailment dealt with, he's, he's basically like, we're going to deal with everything. You know, and, and sometimes what Jesus does is you'll come with him and say, I need this. And he's like, no, you don't. You need this. But other times, like this situation, he says, you, you come and you say, I need this. And he will give that need so that you'll be open for him to deal with a bigger need. Look, so many of you come to Christianity because you've got, uh, you know, th this need in your life. Like you're confused, or you're lonely, or you're worried about the afterlife, or, you're, or you have shame and guilt. Do you know, like, that's not why you, you should come to Christ. You should come to Jesus because he is the king and the Lord of the universe. And one day, everybody will bow down. And everybody should give him all the praise and give him all of our hearts and all of our devotion and all of anything that we have. But he knows we can't come with that in our foolish sinfulness. And so what he does is he lets us come with our small little naive ailments so that later on, when we get even that thing dealt with, we'll have a greater longing, and that's him himself. Because Jesus always wants to ask more than you're actually initially willing to give. See, <laughs> you want to give him a little bit of your attention and fit him in, and it will never work. And that's so often why the delays are so frustrating for you. But he wants not just your attention, he wants your life. And he will ask way more of you than you actually initially think you're going to give to him when you become a Christian, but he will give you way more than you ask. Look, this woman, she wanted her ailment fixed, and Jesus gave her salvation and restored her relationship with her community. Jairus wanted his daughter saved from her sickness, and Jesus gave her a resurrection. What these people experienced was way more than they were initially willing to, to give him. They were, none, of, none of them were willing to trust this. None of them were willing to go this far with him, but what he gives them is, is so much more beautiful than they initially wanted, that when they got it, they would have never wanted what they initially wanted. What, what did you want? What did you think was the most pressing need in your life when you were eight years old? Did you really turn 20 and think everything would have worked out if I had just gotten that? Of course not. You wanted different things and you laugh at yourself for what you thought you needed at eight years old. 
Look, if that's true for eight-year-olds, how is it not true for you now? Do you really think that you've accrued so much wisdom in life that you really know what you most need in this life? Because what Jesus will always do is press us into what we think we most need is almost never our need. And he will give you something that you never asked for. That's almost something when you get it, you almost have no more needs. All I wanted to do when I was 27 years old was moved, moved to East Tennessee and do ministry at the University of Tennessee. I remember I, 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 I thought about it all the time, and, there, and a job came open. And I applied for it and had an interview about it. Everything seemed like it was great. And I'll, I'll never forget getting that email telling me that they're not going to go forward with me. I was, I, was, I was sure I was perfect for it. I was sure it made sense. And I was crushed. Now, the funny part about that was um, I interviewed for the job on a phone call while I was out in Los Angeles with college students doing a spring break trip. And a couple years later, I ended up getting another call to come do an interview and move out here to do ministry. And here's what happened. I became friends with all of these people now, a lot of you in this room, who have loved on me, enriched my life, loved on my children, loved on my wife, and met me in emotional, physical, and spiritual ways that I never would have anticipated. God has met us so beautifully in our years here, in relationships, in opportunities, and in situations in our marriage, in our children, that we've gotten more than we ever could have asked for. And we... Becky and I, joke, we never would have, like, had never had any ambition to do any of these things. But what happened was everything that I thought I wanted and I needed, God said no and put me in situations that I never would have asked for, never pursued. That now when I look back, I go, that was the wisest, best way for my life to go. If that's true in little ways, even in the moments you can't see, don't you think that's happening to you in ways that you will discover years from now? God is always trying to teach you what you think you most need is so often what you don't need. And what I want to give you is something that you may not even be asking for, but when you get it, you'll have no more needs. Look, Jesus will delay you. It's so he can teach you something but you can really trust this man. Look, if it feels like God is doing malpractice in your life with his sovereignty and his timing and providence, look at this text. Look at this man. Look, look at his wisdom. What's the immediate need here? You know, the, the Eisenhower principle of um, urgent and important not urgent, but important. Not important, but urgent. Not important, not urgent. 
If you look at that matrix in this text, what is the obvious, not important but not urgent need? It's, it's the elderly woman. And the urgent and important need clearly is the little girl. Everybody in our initial need, or initial read, would come away with that. But what does Jesus do? He says the immediate need is actually this, this woman. This woman who's ostracized. And if he knows best when life and death are on the line, don't you think that he has the wisdom to know what's best for you when it comes to your career, your relationships, and your children? Look, he has a perspective and a knowledge and a wisdom that initially, if you looked into the situations, you would almost never go with that choice. But look how wise he is to restore and give everybody in this text, in this moment, exactly what they need. But look at his power. I mean, follow this scene at the end with Jairus' daughter. This is so beautiful. He heals the elderly woman, comes up to this house, and here's what they tell him. You're too late. She's already dead. He walks up to the house and hears people wailing. So the scene is a house where this little girl has died and everybody in and around it is crying. And he looks at his three disciples and says, come with me. And he walks into the parents and says, walk with me back there. Your little girl is not dead, she's asleep. And then they go from, from wailing to laughing at him. I mean, you're talking about emotional roller coaster of just sadness to this man is crazy. And then he walks up to this little girl who's dead, takes her by the hand. And, you know, Mark only records a couple times when Jesus says Aramaic phrases, and this is one of them, which means it must have stood out. And the Aramaic is Talithia kum, which most translators say, like, that would have been like a pet name. It would have been like Jesus walking up to this little girl, putting her in the hand, take, with her parents right there, and almost like a Saturday morning waking her up saying, honey, sweetie, it's time to wake up. And she does. I mean, Jesus looks at death and walks right into it like a hot knife through butter. I mean, so far, you and I have seen Jesus touch leprosy and it goes away to look at a paralytic and heal him, to look into a storm and talk to it like a dog. But here, he just looks at death and, and treats it like a Saturday morning. It's time to get up and watch cartoons. And he's saying, look, if I have you by the hand, not even death can do anything to you. If that's true... His power is like this. What have you to fear in life? Why are you so afraid? If this man can, can, can look at something like this where everybody's wailing, 
and walk right through it like it's the sheet over a door. But look at his love. Look, having somebody by the hand and losing them is terrifying. I I remember um, one time, Becky and I were in Walmart. Um, They have that on the East Coast. And our kids were very little. And I was walking, you know, with one of them in my hand, and then, uh, and, and Miles just kind of, or wit runs off, and Miles just kind of goes out of my hand and runs, chases him. And Becky goes to find something, and I look around at something else, and she goes, where's Miles? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I go look around, you know, uh, an aisle, can't find him, run to the front of the store, can't find him, but I'm walking back to the back of the store. Surely Becky found him there. See her again. She's like, I don't see him. Immediately, my heart sank. I ran out to the parking lot. You know, I, I think it was a good two or three minutes that we just ran around the store and couldn't find him. I mean, Becky is screaming. Like, I'm looking at strangers and being like, have you seen Miles? They're like, who's Miles? You like, yeah, I'm just yelling, like, where is he? And then finally, you know, uh, uh, some, some store worker had found him going around the wrong corner and, and caught up, like, in the back of the store. But when you lose somebody's hand like that, it, it's just terrifying. Look, Jesus will never take his hand off of you. And you know how? Because on the cross, He lost his father's hand. Look, Jesus got way more than he asked for. He got a cross. And he so didn't want it because he looked at the father in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, is there another way? Is there another way out of this? God asked way more of him than he was willing to do, but he got way more than he ever would have wanted. A resurrection that gave him you. And if that hand came off of Jesus on the cross, you know what it means? It will never, ever, ever come off of you, and death can't even separate that. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a a pastor in downtown Philadelphia at 10th Presbyterian Church. And when he was young, uh, in his 30s, his wife tragically passed away from cancer. And on the way home from the funeral, he's in the car with his young children, and, and they're just distraught over their mother's passing. And he's trying to think how to comfort them. And so he, as he's driving, a truck passes by them. And he said, kids, would, would you rather be run over by a truck or by the shadow of the truck? And the kids say, well, of course, the shadow of the truck. And he said, did you know that the truck of death ran over Jesus so that only its shadow will run over you. Your mom has not met, she is not dead. She has not been run over by the truck of death. She's only been run over by its shadow. And you have nothing to fear. Look, this man's hand, when it is with you, one day you will lay there 
and you will just hear this voice. Alex, buddy, it's time to get up. And then you'll be with him forever. See this man and trust this man. Let me pray. Father, Lord, we pray that you would, um, you would comfort us in the delays, in the moments that don't make sense, in whatever we're going through, where it feels, Lord, that you're doing malpractice in our life with our career or our marriage or our children or our finances. Lord, and none of it can make sense right now. We ask that you would give us confidence knowing that you are a Savior just like in this story or that you may be attending um, to our needs in ways that we don't even know how to ask for. Lord, give us the faith to see. Comfort us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.